Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Ollie Mann. On today's show, we're at Broadcast's Indie Summit to report on the state of the independent TV sector. We've got reaction to the departure of Channel 4 Chief Exec David Abram and Songs of Praise becoming the first in-house BBC programme to be made by an outside company. Also on the show, we discuss Ofcom's investigation into Rupert Murdoch's latest sky bid, why the Daily Mail is now Newspaper of the Year, and how The Guardian is propping up falling ad revenue. And joining me today in the lush surrounds of BAFTA's Piccadilly headquarters, we're coming up in the world, folks, is Broadcast Magazine's news editor, Peter White, and the director of the Edinburgh International TV Festival, Lisa Campbell. Uh, Peter, it's your media podcast debut. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. It's a significant moment on anyone's Uh, bedpost. Absolutely. And you got me at BAFTA (laughs) where I normally hang out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Now, actually, you are partly responsible for us being at BAFTA this week, so tell us why we're here. Um, So we held the Broadcast Indie Summit, a full-day event uh, where we got a bunch of uh, successful independent producers into a room to tell some aspiring independent producers how they should work to make themselves successful so they can sell their companies for lots and lots of money. And also ply them with free alcohol. I've very much seen that going on in the floor just beneath us right now. Uh, Lisa... Hello, welcome back. Hello. By no means your first appearance. You, I imagine, this time of year, what are we up to now? March, fairly busy planning the Edinburgh TV Festival. Uh, what have you announced so far? We've had some fantastic announcements, including Lauren Laverne is going to be hosting the one of our controller sessions. So she's going to be taking on um, Kevin Ligo. Um, so I think that'll be quite interesting. It's Were you of- ever a Kanicki fan? Uh, yeah, I, I really like Lauren Laverne actually, and I think it sort of reflects our focus on getting new names and new faces and new talent into into the festival. So you know we don't want the same sort of fusty old men that sometimes can happen at conferences. Mm. And have you announced the McTaggart yet? Sorry, I haven't we noticed. We haven't. No. You haven't, right. Watch okay. this space. Right. I'm mm. sorry, I haven't McTaggart. Can you give us any uh, exclusives at all? Um. No, I can't give you anything. This is afraid. Unbelievable. Who have you both seen here picking at the canapes then? We've had some great speakers today. Uh, we had Stephen Lambert uh, of Wife Swap fame 
uh, telling us what he hypothetically thinks of uh, Love Productions' decision to move uh, The Great British Bake Off to Channel 4. What do you mean hypothetically? Uh, he was talking hypothetically. Um, As he didn't say the show he was talking about, but he was clearly talking about that. Exactly. The question was about a slow burn show on BBC Two that <laughs> BBC puts a lot of time and effort into that then moves to BBC One yeah. and then is a huge success. And then it comes to renegotiation time for, for the fees and what happens. So we all knew we were talking about Bake Off. They could have been talking about Have I Got News For You, but probably Bake Off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, was, it was really interesting, actually, because um, you know Stephen Lambert and Leanne Klein on that panel were, were talking about how... Um, you know, was was that move to Channel Four really worth the heat uh, for for all the money that you got? Um, you know, th- they wouldn't have liked to have been in the spotlight in the way that Love Productions were. Um, you know, lots of questions around the importance of relationships in in this industry, and you've kind of really only got four key buyers. You you know, annoy one of them. Um, it's it's quite a big deal. So the question is, you know. Are relationships more important than the cash for an indie? And of course, I guess for a lot of the indies that are here, really their whole business depends on relationships, doesn't it? Because beyond that, it is just ideas, and ideas can be copied, really. Uh, oh, there's been funny stories all day. I mean, we even had a panel today of, of producers turned commissioners turned producers with people like Andrew Newman and mm-hmm. Kim Schillinglaw. Um, you know, some funny stories. Carl Warner as well, you know, talking about you know, being on both sides of, of the fence. And, and yeah, the commissioners are, are completely in control until they want a job and have to get in touch with the people who run the indies. So. Mm. And Stephen Lambert also noted. A, a problem common to all broadcasters really that you've got a sort of someone at the top and then a whole team of commissioners and there's a real lack of clarity about who is in charge so you've got is it is it the boss is it their team and if you're producing a show for them he's he compared it to like driving a car and you're trying to go right and left at the same time everyone's massively contradicting each other it's a very inefficient way of producing um but the broadcasters don't seem to be worrying too much about the economics of the show because they're all sort of fighting for control whereas for an indie it's a massive problem economically very frustrating when you're trying to make the best show and be as creative as possible that's what they want to do so I think that's a it's a perennial issue and it's common to to a lot of the broadcasters at the moment and whilst we've been here today the lineup for Channel 4's Bake Off has kind of been released Noel Fielding presenting, presumably, uh, so, rather oh, than the, in the uh, so Mary Prue, Prue is the is obviously the Prue Mary. Prue is Mary. Mary. Prue is Mary. Yeah. You, you've still got Paul as Paul. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you've got Sandy Toxvic and Noel Fielding. Right, which... So tonight's episode of British Bake Off, the part of Mel and Sue, will be played by <laughs> Noel Fielding and Sandy Toxvic. Yeah, I'm not sure what Noel will it be could, wearing. It's bold, isn't it? I mean, it could go one of two ways, I'd say. It, it is bold. I, I, I really like it, actually. I, um, you know, I think I think everyone's tuning in anyway for the for the first one to see what it's like. But I, I love Sandy Toxvig. I think she's, you know, just... I just wish she'd have had her own show sort of way before now. I think she's enormously clever, funny, just brilliant woman, and I'm really glad to see that she's got something as high profile as this. Uh, also, another commission that's uh, been much talked about here at the Indie Summit, Blind Date. <laughs> uh, what do we know about this now? Well, they've announced the host, the, the new host, so we've all been waiting with bated breath, and it's Paul O'Grady. Now that will work, won't it? I think that's a genius booking, actually. Yeah. Although I, they didn't I, think too far out the Scouse box, did they? Let's be honest. <laughs> Can't get a sailor, let's get her best mate. Yeah, no, true. <laughs> but I think um, 
you know, I think it totally fits with the, the you know the values of that show. You know, the sort of its warmth and yeah. its quite camp and it's you know it's funny, it's tongue in cheek. Uh, you know, he's such a, a likable character and and you know and bit sort of bridges that kind of old and new um, you know sort of essence of the show really. And it, you know, it's it's 13 years since since it's been on. But you know, even talking about it in the office, you know, the youngest person there in their 20s sort of remembers it and sure. can't wait for it to come back. You know when us older lot is equally excited so I think it's I think it's just one of the most exciting things coming up with Twin Peaks so Twin Peaks and Blind Date are my two <laughs> and it's, it's going to be on Channel 5 uh, what's the mechanics that have allowed that to happen because didn't ITV make Blind Date or Granada or LWT or whatever it's to do with the rights yeah there's a really it? strange rights position because it's actually a US format right um so Sony owns some of the rights. ITV owns the name Blind Date. So the actual show is going to be co-produced by So Television, which is an ITV indie, and Stellify, which is a Sony indie. Um, and as you say, yeah, Paul, Paul O'Grady hosting it, which is really interesting for Channel 5. I think when it first was announced or when it first came out that, you know, everyone was expecting, you know, some 25-year-old off Geordie Shore or mm. X on the Beach was going was gonna to be on it. So they've actually gone with, the, you know, a proper television host. Um, and, and this is a sort of real mark into, into entertainment for Channel Channel 5, so, so yeah, you know, so... It's a Laura, Laura laugh. It's a Laura, Laura laugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, the session that I've seen tweeted about a lot from today was about uh, pitches. I guess, again, this isn't really a surprise. You get a lot of indies in a room. They're all anxious about, A, how they're going to get treated by the broadcasters, and B, how they can actually get some business away. So what was this? People sort of saying how to pitch in sort of six words. Yeah, I think, I think keep it simple. So, so for Exodus, it was a six-word pitch, which was 150 immigrants with 150 cameras. Yeah. Let's Says give, everything. I think, makes let's that six give, words. Let's yes. give, let's uh, give. Yeah, I can't actually add up. 150 cameras. <laughs> um, is that always the best way to pitch, though? Like, doesn't it seem, actually, if you're an indie, you've got to kind of back up with a bit more than that. You've got to win I their th- trust. I think commissioners have got short attention spans, lots of people wanting to see them. I think they just want to get to the, you know, to the nub. Who's, who's presenting it? Is it a good idea? Done. Don't, don't mess around. Well, talking of commissioners, as trailed on this show, uh, Jake Cantor can claim an early victory from his 2017 predictions. David Abram is to step down as the chief executive of Channel 4 this year. Uh, Lisa, would you have predicted this one as well? Well, but people have been talking about David stepping down for about the last two years or so. Um, so, you know, it's not a surprise. Um, He's been there seven years. He's he's stepping down. I think he leaves, you know, the channel in rude health in terms of revenues, um, investment in programming. I think when he first took over, there were, you know, a few issues around the creative performance of Channel 4 around its relationship with suppliers I think between him, Terry Burns who was the chair at the time and, and Jay Hunt, the chief creative officer they've really turned the channel around they have you know, proved creative renewal they're you know, dominating awards, they've won Channel of the Year twice at Edinburgh, twice at Broadcast Awards um, I think the relationships with suppliers they've you know really really addressed that and, and turned that around as well. The big issue of course is privatization, which is probably the most important thing at the end of the day mm. in terms of the future of Channel Four. So that's a massive thing to leave in his successor's inbox. That and data. That was I mean if you were saying a word what was his mission at Channel Four, the thing that he talked about a lot, he talked about it as McTaggart actually, didn't he? Mm. Was using big data, using smarter adverts to target users of all four and all that sort of thing. Uh, do you think that's been a success, Peter? He, yeah, he, he's always been banging on about data. You're right. Um, all four has, I think, been a success. I think that's a successful rebrand. I, I'm not sure whether it's across the rest of the business. Um, it's no surprise. I think David had 
almost written his resignation letter two years ago or certainly 18 months ago um, and then privatization came around and, and he sort of felt like I can't leave them with this I need to stick this out and I think you know, privately there was the suggestion that this type might take six months or a year um, and now with our government who frankly you know doesn't look like they know what they're doing with it um, has just sort of let it let it drag on so it's been 18 months and he's got better things to do well, I've just swallowed some ice <laughs> I saw you clock it <laughs> didn't mean to do that and I thought I'm, I don't need to soldier on with this it's not live <clears throat> Where has, he fared, where has he fared less well, though, Lisa? What have been his, not failures, but uh, certainly unsuccesses? Well, I, I mean, I think the data point is interesting because actually what, what are the sort of tangible benefits of that, you know, and, and the, you know, the connection with the 16 to 34 audience. And, and, you know, it was something that was obviously the, the big debate at last year's Edinburgh with Shane Smith suggesting that the broadcasters are missing a trick with the younger audience and you know they vice are connecting more um it, you know that was quite readily dismissed by the broadcasters but i do think it is it is an interesting point and it is very much channel 4 territory and how successful E4 is, you know, there's not a lot of, of original commissions on there all four more successful than vice tv though oh, well yeah mm. yeah but you know it, big bang theory i mean it's it's not you know if you're supporting young british talent then you've got the odd example of michaela cole um i think there could be more i think i think comedy hasn't performed as well i mean you know look we're talking about creative stuff here and, and you know he's obviously on the, the business, business and strategic yeah. side but i guess you know if we're talking about channel four as a whole and what his weaknesses are i, I would sort of single those out i think i mean channel four news has been um a, a huge success um, online. You know, if we're talking about the the move sort of digitally, um, it's got something like yeah, I wish I knew the number um, billions of. Um, it's had a lot. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of views on on Facebook and and YouTube. I think. Well, it's, it's close not, to beating the ITV News at ten. If you yeah. look at the, this week's numbers. Well, it's more successful than the BBC mm. with with a very small team online. But, you know, the challenge is monetizing that, as with all digital content. So it isn't getting the revenues, you know, and the, there are all of those issues with, with Facebook. Um, but I think that's that's a really good example of how the channel has taken something, you know, very traditional and perhaps older skewing and really using short clips and video and really appealing to a younger and wider audience through um, social media. Yeah. Okay. In other TV news this week, we also saw the first win by an indie of a key BBC property. From next year, Songs of Praise will be produced not by BBC Studios, the sound of uh, various different director generals turning in their grave, but a co production between Avanti and Nine Lives. Uh, now, a £12 million tender is not to be sniffed at, is it? This is actually quite a big show, Songs of Praise. Yeah, this is the first in-house show to be snapped up by the independent sector following the BBC's decision to scrap in-house guarantees in October. So, I, I mean, for me, it initially felt like quite a shock because, it, you know, it seems such a BBC institution mm. that to lose it feels like the equivalent of, you know, Radio 4 losing Thought for the Day or, you know, the Ravens leaving the Tower of London. Um, but, you know, it's a massive contract. It's a, it's a Welsh and a Manchester indie. So politically, it feels like a good move. And I do think, you know, there's, there's a lot of politics going on here. Um, I think, you know, Nine Lives and Avanti proved to be the winning combination because Avanti's been doing the, you know, the Welsh um, songs of praise and, you know, have 
invested a lot in, in technology. They've done the sort of big events at the Royal Albert Hall. And then Nine Lives have got a great reputation for religious, non-religious programming, great relationships with the BBC. I, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting the fact that, you know, you, you kind of ask, why do we have this move? And, and is it good for the indie sector? Because, you know, there are no rights involved in this. So, you know, for an indie, how attractive is it? Will there be more innovation? Will, you know, will, will the format change? I, mean, I suppose there's two advantages from the BBC's point of view, isn't, isn't there? They can sort of push the envelope a bit, arguably, on the format and then say, oh, it's not our fault if it goes wrong. You know, if they're including sort of more different faiths and ethnicities and stuff or sort of jazzing up the way it's presented and then there's a backlash from the Daily Mail thing saying, not our fault. Uh, and also, any indie taking it over is unlikely to make very dramatic changes because it's such a staple and it's been going for so long. So in a way, it's quite low risk. It, it's, it, you know, it's great for Avanti and, and, and um, Nine Lives. It's, it's a huge bit of business for both of them. Um, there was a bit of a ding-dong this morning with um, Mark Lindsay, who's the director of BBC Studios, who lost out to Avanti and, and Nine Lives, and a couple of panellists uh, at the Indie Summit, um, just talking about the, the process, not necessarily Songs of Praise particularly, but also the same process that saw BBC Studios win Question of Sport and and we'll see what happens to Hobby City, um, just that there isn't enough transparency. You know, are there really Chinese walls between BBC Commissioning and BBC Studios? Um, does BBC Studios have more numbers than the indie producers? Mm. And uh, you're right, they needed to give one of these three shows that they tendered to the indie community, because otherwise I think the indie community would have probably burnt down BBC Studios if they hadn't. And so they needed to give something. So they've given this. It's a, it's a lovely bit of business for both of those. It's not going to necessarily cause too much pain um, internally. I think there's about 30 people that currently work on on songs of praise that you know question marks in terms of how they'll transfer over but you know the question marks do remain over over this process and and remember they're going to have to tender everything so you know this is small fire compared to when they get around to doing strictly or top gear or or any of the genuinely big shows Elsewhere in competitive bid land, BT Sport have secured the exclusive rights to the Champions League until 2020, which means ITV have lost the rights to screen highlights of the competition. How much does that matter, that this competition is no longer available on free-to-air? I mean, I think it's amazing for BT, isn't it? I mean, surely they're going to get loads more subscriptions out of this, and it's, what, £3 something a month to subscribe. So I think a lot of people will think, well, if that's the only place I can see it, you know, that's not a huge amount to shell out. It's, it's certainly a lot cheaper than Sky Sports. So, uh, you know, fantastic news for BT. But what about the but public for, at large? For football fans, probably less so. The I interesting mean, thing about this deal is, I mean, they haven't announced it, but they did say that they're going to have to show some of it on, on social media. Now, whether that's them doing a deal with Twitter or Facebook or, or you know, whatever the new uh, service is by the time this deal starts, uh, that will be really fascinating. You know, will we be able to watch a whole game or, or certainly highlights, not a whole game? Well, but BT you know, have streamed on YouTube, haven't they? Exactly. So they'll, you know. exactly. Well, this is the thing. I mean, is there any real meaning to these deals when all's said and done? Because it's a bit like Discovery Network's getting the Olympics, wasn't it? That was a big story. We covered it here on the podcast. Oh, are we going to be able to watch the Olympics on the BBC? Oh, will it be on the internet? Yes. Yes. Most people don't even know that Discovery have any rights to that. So who cares, really? Let alone the fact that British teams aren't doing very well in the Champions League, so it means that no one really cares at the moment. And part of the deal is that BT will make some of this content, the really important stuff, the finals, available on free-to-air anyway. Yeah, same, same rules apply, you know, that there has to means that Wimbledon and, and some of the key sporting tournaments will be on free-to-air television. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. We're still at BAFTA with Peter White and Lisa Campbell, and let's tackle some of the other stories of the week. On Thursday, it was announced that Rupert Murdoch's bid for Sky will be investigated by Ofcom. That means that, once again, the owner will be assessed in terms of the amount of news media his businesses control and whether he is a fit and proper owner. Now, a lot of media commentators believe that Murdoch is going to get his hands on Sky this year. So, uh, remind us... What has actually changed since 2013? Well, Rupert has turned his business into two companies. So essentially what he means by that is the television division and the Hollywood studio and, and everything that owns the entertainment properties is one business and his newspapers are another. Completely unrelated. Even Completely unrelated. Um, governed by people who are literally related. So he's hoping that that will help him get this through. Um, is Rupert a fit and proper person, I'm not sure. You know, there was a lot of questions about Sky News um, before the last time they tried to do this deal with the media polarity. So it will be interesting to see to see whether whether they need to hive that off into a, a separate, th- independent business. They, they they've sort of alluded to the fact that they're not going to this time. Yeah, because I mean, Lisa, this is something that excites MPs quite a lot. I think Sky News, you know, because it's very important. They all watch it all the time. It's where they break all the news. Every office has got it on in the background because frankly, fact-checking doesn't seem quite as important as it does for the BBC, and you get the news first on Sky, never wrong for long, all of that. But actually, they've not been in trouble for the last 20 years for doing anything that contravenes guidelines, or for not being impartial, or for not being a reasonable commercial rival to the BBC. So I I wonder if it is a bit of a red herring in a way. Like, no one's actually made a complaint that Sky News is, is being unduly influenced by the Murdochs. No, but I, I suppose it's the the hacking that you know everything that's gone on in the past, the, the whole sort of fit and proper test, which you know it was such a big issue last time, and I'm, you know, it has to be looked at by the culture secretary. So, and and the sort of you know lots of stories about the access that Rupert Murdoch seems to have to politicians, you know, above and beyond all other parts of the press and, and media. So the you know the sort of backdoor to, to number ten issues. I mean, there's there's also you know the Murdoch's Fox News and and the fact that there's a you know investigations into the close ties between you know Trump and Russian officials and 
you know, and Fox News and, and, you know, the suggestion from some that Ofcom might look into this as a matter of national security. Um, I think the Fox News entity is is a sort of cause for concern for the UK. Clearly, we've got massively different rules here, which, you know, Ofcom will, will uphold. And, and James Murdoch came, there was a Deloitte conference last week where James came along and in the middle of all of this, you know, told the, the British community how much he was planning on spending on original content and saying all the, the good things that this merger would, would lead to. And I don't think anyone's under any, any illusion that they don't already control Sky. It's, it's merely a financial takeover. So, um, you know, they were trying to show the benefits of it. And, you know, this deal will go through. So, uh, you know, regardless of what, what happens, I think we'll, we'll see a Rupert Murdoch-owned Sky very shortly. Okay, bold prediction on your first ever episode of the Media Podcast. Good stuff. I just quite like this story because it means we get to see Ed Miliband being vox popped on the telly again. <laughs> right, let's talk about the newspaper of the year at the British Press Awards, which is the Daily Mail. It has scooped its competitors. Judged by the Society of Editors, the awards praised the Mail for its strong and provocative voice during the Brexit campaign and the political fallout. I mean, I guess say what you like about its politics. Um, Paul Dacre and the Daily Mail team did set the agenda for 2016. We did, the country, vote for Brexit. They played a role in that and they followed that story doggedly. Yeah, well, you know, there is clearly much to be admired about the Mail. It's uh, it's profitable, it's well-written, it, it invests in journalism, which, you know, in a struggling publishing industry, you know, that's, that's quite rare. Um, and it has an incredible ability through the power of words alone to enrage its readers and, and mobilise them and to get them to, you know, take Britain out of the EU. So, um, you know, in, in some respects, it's, it's little wonder that, you know, it, it won the award. Um, I, you know, I'm now going to sound like one of the hated liberal media elite, but it is... I'm looking forward to the tweet from oh. Ian Dale later. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. I mean, there are still many of us not talking to our parents post-Brexit. <laughs> um I think, you know, the depressing thing is that it repeated so many of the untruths and the false statistics and, um, you know, it became inseparable from Project Fear, you know, so intrinsically linked with the Brexit campaign, it even had the Project Fear logo. Um, and it didn't really, uh, it seemed to just discredit any evidence at all from, from the Remain campaign. I remember seeing um, an article the day after the vote and it was about how mo- much more expensive it's going to be to, to go on holiday in France. And then all the comments from Daily Mail readers were like, what? You didn't tell us this? Why didn't you tell us this beforehand? You know, so it, it, you know, it did feel very one-sided. And I, I think that the big thing for me, though, in the mail is, is just the, the sexism that, that remains. Um, I mean, just last week, there was a story about um, Amal Clooney, who was at the UN in New York, to try and say to world leaders, we need to hold ISIS to account for, for genocide. Uh, but instead, the Daily Mail reported the fact she was wearing four and a half inch heels and she's six months pregnant. And that's outrageous, surely. And shouldn't she think again? And the genocide wasn't even worthy of a mention. So, you know, and we see lots of stories about Theresa May's legs and, you know, on it goes. So, but they do know that that's what their audience want to read. For better well, or worse, their okay, audience aren't they? interested in preventing know. genocide. Apparently they're interested in heels. I mean, it does sell, doesn't it? It's dangerous. It's incredibly dangerous. You know, the sexism is bad enough. You know, the, the implicit racism is, is even worse. Um, you know, taking this back to TV, there was a story a, a few weeks ago. Um, I think it was a front page story, certainly a, a big piece in the paper about the outrage that the BBC had a Muslim woman 
running the religious commissioning department. Now, she'd been hired three or four weeks before. Um, she's an incredibly uh, well-versed commissioner. You know, there was no, no complaints from the television community, but she is Muslim. And how dare they? How dare the BBC do this? And you just think, you know, they don't really have to say it. They just have to sort of necessarily, they just have to put it out there and they can let their readers make up their own minds. And I, you know, I don't think that's necessarily journalism. I, I think that's comment, and I think we're, we're mistaking the two things. Well, but they do invest in the reporters, as Lisa says. I mean, I, I agree with you in terms of it's not a paper I would personally choose to read. However, I do believe what I read in there. I just think it's coming from a particular angle. If you look at The Express, which is the same audience done badly... I mean, that, that doesn't feel like journalism. The Express does feel... But at least I know thing. what the weather's going to be like when I read The Express. And you do know that Princess Diana is still dead. OK, <laughs> who were the other big winners on the night of the press awards then? The New European. Yes, uh, one sort of some weird editor's award for best new thing or whatever. But, I mean, that's very different, isn't it? I guess they probably knew they were going to give an award to the Daily Mail or give one to the New European as well. Um, and A.A. A. Gill as well, deservedly winning a couple of uh, posthumous awards think feature writer and a, a kind of I guess lifetime achievement award for him um, sticking with the press some encouraging news from Guardian Towers in King's Cross uh, Kath Viner the editor there has announced that their membership drive has garnered over 200,000 paying members to its free website and another 185,000 subscribers Press Gazette have crunched those numbers and they believe that is worth over 25 million quid to the paper in a single year although the Guardian have actually denied that. Uh, Lisa, that couldn't have come at a better time because advertising revenues are down £11 million. Do you think The Guardian's mixed revenue strategy can work? Yeah, I mean, it's clearly massively challenged because it refuses to go down the subscription route. And I think Lord the paid subscription route. Paid subscription yeah. route, yes. Um, you know, it's laudable because it wants news to be available to anyone, no matter what their you know background or income. Um, and it's plummeting advertising revenues uh, are only going to get worse, I, w- I would suggest. So, um, you know, its sustainability as a business, you know, looks pretty perilous without something like the membership scheme and I know it you know they launched it quite a while ago and it seems to have been such a slow process to build the numbers and they kept calling it a soft launch for a really long time Mm. um a very 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 soft launch with a big fat pillow and now finally they are you know they look like there are some results but it's probably because of the time we're in you know it's, it couldn't be a better time yes we, you know in an era of fake news and you know mistrust of the media to have a trusted brand like The Guardian and doing the investigations that it feels actually really worth investing and, and in. And a trusted if that's, brand of the left as well. Yeah, you know. well, yeah. And, but, but if that's the only way that you can keep that journalism alive, then I think, you know, it, it does have its supporters. And, you know, it, it flashes up at the bottom of every story. And, it, you know, and it's compelling. I mean, I know lots of friends who said, oh, I've, you know, I've ended up becoming, you know, paying for that. And I, I didn't think I would. And it just softly makes you feel guilty, like Wikipedia. Yeah, it's, it's sort of, you know, sub- paid subscription in the sort of guise of altruism or something isn't yes. it it's, it's i mean it's a good strategy and i and i do hope that it, it works for them one more story before we head into the quiz and that is that project diamond the tv industry's new diversity initiative is to be boycotted by beck to the union and the writers guild of great britain peter why well, the uh, Beck Two is is threatened to, to boycott. The Writers Guild is just having a soft no. They're, they're complaining that Diamond doesn't go far enough. They're saying that it won't report numbers on a program by program basis. 
um, which I understand and which you know is perfectly reasonable. But I'm not sure necessarily. I'm not getting involved in the the entire diversity scheme is a way to. Uh, to, to sort of help this I think they just you know a small win here and there is probably better than, than boycotting it yeah it kind of looks for all the world like they don't care rather than that they care too much which might be the motivation Peter's outlining well I think you know the tragedy is it's still a massive issue in the industry and now it feels that we're sort of you know there's a lot of infighting about you know what you reveal what you report and it's preventing any any movement and any positive improvement and the whole point of Diamond was to be transparent and to show how we can measure diversity and therefore we've got a true picture of how serious the problem is and then we can you know correct those particular areas if you know if we're not getting the right data well really what's the point so you know I have some sympathy and I just hope that it can be resolved because this has been dragging on for years so come on, sort it out, everyone, basically. Well, <laughs> as Jonathan Dimbleby would say, completely unscientifically, uh, wandering around downstairs, I can report that diversity has quite a long way to go at the top rank of television here at the Indie Summit. Um, all right, there is just time for our media quiz. Woo! Yes! Reaction. Uh, this week it is entitled, Show Me the Way to Go Home. Imagine for a moment that I've had a few too many bellinis and I'm drunk in charge of a podcast. I'm going to slur three quotes from the past week and I want you to decipher who said them and why buzz in with your name so Lisa you will say Lisa and Pete you will say Peter the winner is Johnny Vegas the loser is Keith Floyd here we go who is this drunk person the bar for defamation was as low as my labia it is very likely we will appeal and the grounds for that appeal will be the fact that no evidence of harm was produced in the court. <laughs> Who was slurring that? You sound a lot like Katie Hopkins. Correct. You've got a buzzing with your name. Uh, b- buzz, Peter. Peter. You sound a lot like Katie Hopkins. I do. I am Katie Hopkins. Uncanny. <laughs> well, there she was, reacting on Radio 4's The Media Show to losing a libel case brought by food writer Jack Monroe. Here's drunk person number two. Who am I? <laughs> Ed Sheeran has just confirmed himself as the king of British music. Divide has generated 79,000 album streams. It's an absolute outlier. And you shouldn't change rules for extreme cases. Buzz, Lisa. Lisa. I I didn't hear a word you said (laughs) apart from Ed Sheeran. So I'm assuming you're talking about him having 17 out of 20 top whatever correct yes top place in the UK singles (laughs) chart but who am I who was I sounded like Ed Sheeran I was the official charts companies is who I was uh, after Ed Sheeran indeed as Lisa said you sound like you've drunk the music industry dry and now it's absolutely (laughs) broke Um, do you think this is going to be their downfall for the music charts Ed Sheeran getting 17 out of 20 places I hope so yeah I think Ed Sheeran is is probably you know there was uh, is probably the death knell yes for the charts Uh, for music in generally no no but it doesn't need to be reformatted but but I think of course but I don't think young kids give a shit about the charts I don't think the the, the youth care you know we're we're sort of still holding on to this idea because we used to watch Top of the Pops and and we used to count down from 40 but it's not just 12 year olds who buy Ed Sheeran records no no but they don't care about the, the charts what they what they don't I mean the playlists and 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 those sorts? It doesn't really matter, you know. Do, why does the the music industry need the, a chart based on Spotify playlists and and record sales? Remember, no one's buying any records. I, I completely just disagree. Them, I, they, I so need to know who the winner is all the time. <laughs> there's I no love win- a chart. There's who no winner. It's music. It's like Ed Sheeran is so obviously not the winner. He just you know people have been streaming his record the most. I, I just think the charts are, are meaningless. Well, in that case, the official charts have something in common with the media podcast. There are no winners here. But here is question number three. 
three. <laughs> who am I? It's the tie break. Who am I slurring and why? On a daily basis, I have angry strangers yelling at me. On the one hand, I'm responsible for the destruction of the Labour Party. And on the other, I'm a right-wing sellout careerist who's allied to Tony Blair and possibly in the pay of the Israeli government. Buzz in when you know the answer. Jeremy Corbyn? Buzz in with your name. Lisa? Lisa. <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn. It wasn't Jeremy Corbyn. Any other guesses? Sounds like it might be Ed Middleband. It was, in fact, the Guardian columnist and author Owen Jones, oh, who quit course. Twitter yes, this yes. week for the reasons outlined there, uh, which does mean that we have a tie-break situation. An appropriate result, I think, for your media podcast debut, Peter. How do you think it went? Uh, well, uh, on, that, on that performance, I'm not so sure. I think, I think you can, you're safe. You can come back. Uh, if people enjoyed your contribution, by the way, uh, they should check out our sister podcast, Talking TV from Broadcast Magazine. Yes. Where can people find that? Uh, you can I mean, find it on the that, internet, obviously. Uh, yeah, you can find it on, uh, <laughs> on SoundCloud and iTunes uh, every fortnight, Broadcast Talking TV, where we interview a vague selection of television producers about you know, their exciting new television shows. And presented by you. Presented by uh, and Lisa, if people are intrigued to find out more about the Edinburgh TV Festival, what do well, they need to do? They could come along to our launch night and quiz on the 4th of May which is at Café de Paris and If they've it is, made it this far, they at least tolerate a quiz Exactly, yeah, no, it's one of the best nights in telly, very competitive, you have to fight against Endemol and ITV Prize of dinner for eight at the Ivy with Alex Zane hosting. That is it for the show Thank you Peter, thank you Lisa <laughs> uh, Catch up with our previous episodes and get new ones as soon as they're released by subscribing for free on our website themediapodcast.com this episode is dedicated to Saul Fernley, a freelance series producer currently at ITV on Anton Deck's Saturday Night Takeaway. Thank you, Saul. Join him. Keep us on the air. Go to themediapodcast.com slash donate. I've been Ollie Mann. The producers were Matt Hill and Peter Price, the Media Podcast, a PPM production. Until next time, bye-bye. 